0: Well, I mentioned it before earlier this morning in case you haven't caught up with what's going on. Today is the first Sunday of a brand new year. It is 2010. 2010. Say that with me. 2010. I only do that because if you're like me, it takes me a while to get into that, to understand. Although this morning you'll be proud of me. This morning I put 2010 on my tithes check. Wasn't that good? Didn't you? You did write a tithe check today, didn't you? It'd be a great way to start the new year. I'm just going to be faithful this year. By the way, this is not a tithing sermon. But, hey, I love the first Sunday of the new year. You see, for church folk, I guess, it's a great time for us to start over or to make goals. To make new promises to each other and to God. It seems to me that there's so much potential wrapped up in the first Sunday of the new year. It's almost like God says to us, He he picks us up and and looks us straight in the eye and says, Hey, let's start over again. Let's just just start at it again. It's time for a brand new start. As usual, you hear all kinds of promises and resolutions at this time of year. It kind of makes you sick. Most of these resolutions are... Oh, they're about weight loss and exercise and relationships and all that kind of stuff. I was wondering if anyone here this morning is brave enough to just shout out their New Year's resolution, if you have any. Anybody brave enough? (laughs) You shy guys. Anybody? Exercise? Okay, what? Be Be more faithful to Christ. I like that one. Anybody else? Memorize Scripture, scripture, you spiritual folk. Yes. Pardon me? Making Christ-like disciples. By the way, this was not a plant. This was not a plant. Amen, brother. Amen. Anybody else? All right. Well, for me, I came across a list of New Year's resolutions. Now, this isn't... Anything out of the ordinary? These are just normal, run-of-the-mill resolutions that people make this time of year. Perhaps you've said some of these. Someone said, this year, 2010, I want to learn something new. Well, I can pretty much guarantee us that we'll all learn something new this year. So that one we've got covered. Someone else said, I want to simplify my life this year. Now, that's a good one. Maybe we should all do that. The third one is, I'm going to be healthy this year. That's somebody else said. And I'm glad Pastor Carla's not here to hear me say that because she'd hold me to it. Be healthy. Someone said, this year I'm going to take more pictures. Okay, whatever. This was another one someone said, this year I'm going to fight procrastination. Ah, We'll get to that later. (laughs) The next one is that somebody said, and this is real generic, I'm going to help others. That's my New Year's resolution. I'm going to help others. Another one is, I'm going to this year reduce stress in my life or recommit to a hobby or tame the bulge, the battle of the bulge. Here's one that we all should take part in. This year, someone said, I'm going to get out of debt. Now, that's something that we all ought to work on in these uncertain times. And here's the last one I have on my list. Whoever made this resolution, I don't know, they they just need more time in their lives to think about other good things. They said they want to drink enough water. (laughs) And this person says that you need to drink eight, eight ounce glasses of water a day. I can tell you this, that would change my lifestyle if I ate or drank eight glasses of water. But that's another story. Drink enough water. I heard one guy that said, my resolution is never to make a resolution ever again. Perhaps you feel that way. But what about your spiritual life? Anything come to mind around this time of year that you want to commit to or recommit to on this first Sunday of 2010? Now, perhaps it's an occupational hazard. It probably is. But my list, when I come to a new year, my list tends to be centered around spiritual type things. It's not that I need to come to the first Sunday of the new year in order to make progress in my spiritual life or to jumpstart my spiritual life. It's just that this time of year, in my mind, I'm just thinking about it's, it's a new day. It's a new year, and my mind just goes over to spiritual things. Okay, it's like this. I want to spend more time in prayer this year. I do. Or I want to spend more quality time in God's Word. I absolutely do. That's one of my goals. But this year, in 2010... What God seems to be speaking to me about actually toward the end of 2009 and into 2010 already is making Christ-like disciples. It's just been kind of rattling around in there for the last number of weeks. Making Christ-like disciples. It's been on the top of my list this year. In 2010, I want God to use me to make disciples. In fact, I want this to be the overarching theme of our year, 2010, making Christ-like disciples. The Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. You see, some years ago, we chose two passages of Scripture to help define us, Grace Point, this body of Christ. The Great Commission, And the Great Commandment. We're going to go back to those this year. Starting with the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28. Perhaps you'd like to turn there with me. Matthew chapter 28. Verses 16 to 20. Matthew 28. Now that's the first book of the New Testament. Last chapter. Last four verses. Matthew chapter 28. Actually, we're going to start with verse 18. The Great Commission. Making... Christ-like disciples. Verse 18, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, what I say goes. When I speak, listen. I've got the authority. So all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, since I have the authority and you are my followers, here's what I want you to hear. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Now, this passage of Scripture is significant to me for at least two reasons. The first reason is Jesus is talking. You know, I love those old red letter Bibles. You know, whenever I would be reading the Bible, I don't know about you, but whenever I'd come across some red letters, my ears would perk up. It's not that the other black letters were any less significant. It's just that Jesus said this. I'm going to listen to this. So that's why this passage of Scripture is significant to me. Jesus said it. The second reason that this passage of Scripture is significant to me is, according to Matthew, it's the last Comments, these are the last comments that Jesus made to His disciples before ascending back into heaven to work, to sit at the right hand of the Father. Jesus said these words. In other words, He's saying, oh, okay guys, gather around. I've got one more thing to say to you before I leave. This is important. Come on in. Gather around. Don't miss this. Go make disciples. On my list this year, what's been rattling around in my brain is making Christ-like disciples. Father, would you speak into our spirits today? Speak to our hearts today, Lord, along this line, in this context of making Christ-like disciples. Lord, what's our part in that? We've come to listen In Jesus' name, amen. Making Christ-like disciples. It's my top, it's on the top of my list in 2010. And it's my prayer and hope that it'll be on your list too. I have no clue what I'm doing. What am I doing? These, you know, these technology things, it's just, uh, I don't even know what's going on with my mic here. Just a few weeks ago, we talked about Christmas. Remember that? I know it was a long time ago. I know it was last year. But we talked about Christmas just a few weeks ago. The birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. A humble birth in an obscure part of the, the globe that first Christmas. Jesus Christ was born. We read about it in Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 20. The Christmas story. Every New Year's Eve, around the Christmas tree, with my little family, we read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. I remember when I was a child, my mother taught me how to recite Luke chapter 2, 1 through 20. And I walked up in front of the whole church, as I recall, and I recited it. I was so cute. I was this little guy there. Okay, maybe, I I don't remember if I was cute or not, but I remember reciting this passage of Scripture. But you see, something weird happened here lately. As I read this very familiar passage of Scripture again, something hit me for the first time. Oh, I suppose it's because this rattling, it's been rattling around in my mind, making Christ-like disciples. But this, this, this thing hit me for the first time as I read through it again. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. I just want to share this with you. Luke chapter 2. The Christmas story on the first Sunday of a brand new year. We're going to start with verse 8. Listen to these words. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were terrified. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord, or the Messiah. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. Verse 16 says, So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. For those of you that care about this kind of stuff, the title of the message is, Come, then go. Come, then go. See, the shepherds, they heard the announcement out in their fields, minding their own business, watching their flocks by night. They heard the, the incredible announcement, and they went to find the Messiah. What must have that been like? What must have that been like? When they arrived at this holy stable, that holy place sanctified by the birth of Jesus Christ, they humbly bowed and worshipped Christ, the newborn King. It was as if it was an impulse or a natural reaction when they were in the presence of God to bow and worship Him. As they looked into this tiny, little, helpless, vulnerable face of Jesus, all they could do was fall down and worship Him. Now look again at verse 17. See, they came, they found Him, they were amazed, they bowed down and worshipped, they spent some time talking to the family, I'm sure, and getting all caught up on what's going on with Jesus. And then what happened? Verse 17. When they had seen Him, I'm talking about Jesus, when they had seen Him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. What was their immediate response after finding and worshiping Christ? They spread the news. They couldn't help themselves. They had this message beating in their breasts. They had to tell it or they would explode. I've just seen Jesus and I'll never be the same again. They came. They looked into His holy face. They were transformed and they ran and told everybody, verse 18 says, and all who heard it, the message, the story that is, were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. See, their immediate response was to go tell. All through the story, I mean the Bible story, everyone who really allows Jesus to capture them, even up to today, everyone that really now allows Jesus to capture them and embrace them, everyone goes and tells somebody about it. Everyone who Jesus captures and embraces, and saves, and transformed, goes and tells the story in some way. People of all ages, people of all nations, they go and tell, making Christ-like disciples. It's what's on my top, it's on the top of my list in 2010. My resolution, if you will. Making Christ-like disciples. Will you join me? Will you accept with me your assignment? Hello. Your assignment from God? You see, this is what God wants from His children. Those of you who have accepted it, He wants to use you. He wants to use me to pass it on. God chooses To get His message across to people you live next to, you work with, you play with. He chooses to use you to get the message to them. Did you realize that you could be, you could be the only chance somebody you know has of finding Christ? Because of your relationship with them. Because of how they've known you. Because of how they they, they re-interact with you. You could be. The person God wants to use to help that one find Christ. Come to Christ, then go tell others. I'd like you to turn with me now to Revelation chapter 1. Following on in the story. Revelation chapter 1. This is the last book in the Bible. First chapter of Revelation. Just three verses. Verses 4, 5, and 6. Revelation chapter 1. It says this. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from Him who is and was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before His throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood, And has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve His God and Father. To Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. You see, the reaction of those shepherds after actually seeing the face of Jesus was to go and tell people about it. And now here we are. Long after the birth, some say 68 years, some say as many as 95 years after the birth of Christ. Here we are at Revelation chapter 1. Now John is writing to the churches that have sprung up in those 70, 80, 90 years since the birth of Christ. And he is writing to them and saying this is important. It's a message from God. And one of the important things... Or among the important things that John writes, here's a couple in verse 6. These are two important things that John writes to you and to me in verse 6. The first thing he is, he writes is this, we were made to be a kingdom. In other words, there are certain characteristics There are certain identifying mannerisms. There there is a certain obvious lifestyle, if you will, for people in the kingdom. And it's not too difficult, or it should not be too difficult to tell tell, uh, uh, what kingdom we're part of. I remember we'd been in Russia for about a year, and it was tough. It was tough to live there. I tried my best to fit in. I hated sticking out like a sore thumb. I tried to dress like Russians. I tried to act like Russians. And I just, I couldn't do it. Everywhere I went, somebody would come up to me and say, hey, aren't you an American? I'd say, yes. Yes. How did you know? And they said, well, your mannerisms give you away. I mean, they said, you, you look at people in the eye? Okay. You speak to strangers on the street? Well, yeah. You smile and look pleasant? Well, it's a facade. Your teeth aren't gold? I said, okay, all right, all right. Well, one day, we've been there about a year, Carl and I got up, and we had this... I guess you could call it a doozy of an argument. I don't remember what it was about, I just remember I was right. <laughs> we had this argument, and all the way, I mean, we're on the public transportation, we're pick, 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 pick at each other, all this, you know, and giving the glare, you know, and all this. We get to the office, been there a year, get to the office, and there's this lady who's in the office every day, she came up to us and said, you know what, this is the first time that that I've looked at you and you look like a Russian. I said, there you go, Carla, that's what we need to do. Let's tick each other off every morning and then we will look like Russians. You see, the problem is they could tell what kingdom I was from. I was born in another place. I was influenced by another culture and I couldn't get away from it. It was who I was. It's supposed to be. The same way with you and me, brothers and sisters, in the kingdom of God. Christ has made us a kingdom. And he has sent us out there to impact folks that aren't in the kingdom yet. It's called making Christ-like disciples. Another thing that... John said in verse 6, that 6, it's pretty important, is this. Yes, we are a kingdom. He made us a kingdom. But he also said we are to be priests to serve God. Now, don't let that word priest trip you up. John is writing to all of us, not just preachers or priests or pastors. What he's saying is, as we are all called to serve God, however he Asks us to whatever He wants us to do, we do it. We are called to serve God, to be available to Him to do whatever He asks us to do, wherever He has placed us. You know what the great thing about the family of God is? The kingdom. Is that all of us, I mean, from where I stand, look at you. I am. Boy, you're all different. You're all different. You go around here, you, you look different, you act different. Sometimes you have a little accent. I mean, we're different. You know, one of the reasons why God does that is because you can touch some people that I can't. We are to serve as God sees fit. Do you know what God's favorite thing to do is with His children? To use us to help Him make disciples. That's His favorite thing. Come, then go. None of us are exempt It is a kingdom characteristic to go tell others. You see, it's on the top of my list this year. Making Christ-like disciples. We're going to talk about this more. matter of fact, the next two Sundays, we're going to talk about the same thing. Making Christ-like disciples. A few weeks after that, we're going to talk about what are the basics of Of following Christ. What are the basic things that we need to do to follow Christ? Because we're seeking to be a church as God defines it. At least I am. And I pray that God would reveal His plan to us in a way that He never has before. I am completely convinced that God wants you and me to help Him make disciples. Do you believe that? Will you join me this year in saying, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Will you say that with me? Here am I, send me. Now I realize, I know, I know this, that this kind of stuff is way out of some of our comfort zone. We just break out in hives when people talk about going out and talking to people about their faith. But don't look at it that way. Look at it this way. Kneeling down by your bed or sitting in a comfortable chair and saying, God, what does it mean for me to make Christ-like disciples? God, you know me. You made me. You know my personality. Now, God, use me. How does that look? God, I'm really ready to do it. I'm, I'm available for you to use. You remember these yellow cards? Remember these cards? About three years ago, I think, I ask you in a service to put names of your loved ones on these cards. Those that do not know Christ, over 1,200 names are on these cards. By the way, we still pray for these folks. And, And it is great to hear the stories of people in your families that you wrote on these cards that have come closer to Christ or have accepted Christ. It's a blessing. We still pray for them. Today I'm going to ask you to do a little variation of that. It's been a while. In your bulletin, you have a yellow card. You have a, a small yellow card. If you don't have a bulletin, though, there's more out there. We can do it later. But if you have a card, this is what I'd like you to do for me this morning. <clears throat> I'd like you to take the card, and I'd like you to think of one person, the name of one person that you've been praying for to come to know Christ. Well, Pastor Chuck, it's so hard, I've got six people I'm praying for. All right, just one. Ask, Lord, God, who do you want me to focus on for the next three or four months? Just one name. It could be a name that's on one of these other yellow cards, or it could be a new name. And here's the covenant I want you to make with me this year. Your part is to write the name on the card and to promise, I mean, if you write the name, this person must be important to you, and to promise that between now and Easter, that you will pray for that person, at least breathe a prayer for that person every single day. That's your part. My part is, once you write the name on the card and bring it up here and put it on the altar, I will take it in the prayer room, and at least once a week, I will call out every single name that's written on these cards to the Lord and ask the Lord to help them find Christ. So you're praying, and I'm praying. And I'm going to ask the staff to help us pray. So we're going to pray for these people. One name is all I want you to write down. And then by Easter, we're going to see people come to Christ. I believe it with all my heart. Because this year, making Christ-like disciples. We're going to do it on purpose. We're going to do it on purpose. These are all from the first, first hour. Look at that. All these names. It's going to take me a while in the prayer room, and that's okay. Brothers and sisters, God has a plan. You know that. And He wants to use you in that plan. Can you think of a name? Write that one name. God asks us to come, bow at the feet of Jesus, at the manger, if you will, to come, see, experience, be saved, be transformed, then go, tell, Don't be freaking out over this, brothers and sisters. Just be available for God to use. It's amazing what He'll do when somebody prays, Lord, would you use me today? I want you to listen to the words of this song. I'm going to sing this for you. And as I sing, if you would bring those cards, if you will, and just lay them on the altar... And as you lay them on the altar, would you just breathe a simple prayer? Whatever it is, breathe a simple prayer for them. Just breathe a quick prayer and go back and sit down. If you'd do that while we sing, listen to these words.